right, all right, all right. Welcome to Living in the Past. This is the podcast where two middle-aged dudes relive their past by enjoying the pop culture of their youth. Devin, it's been a while, man, since we've uh, sat down and chatted. It has been a while indeed, Jeremy. Um, It's kind of like riding a bike, though. I feel pretty good about this. I'm (laughs) back on the horse, back in the saddle, ready to do this. Yeah, for those of you, um, our patrons know, of course, but probably our regular listeners don't. The reason why it's been sort of radio silence for the last, really, almost month is um, I had... Uh, it's a pretty big surgery. I had <laughs> basically most of my colon removed. Uh, long story short, I had tumor. Um, thankfully, it wasn't to the cancer stage, but I had to have it removed because it would become that. Uh, surgery went great, um, but uh, recovery has been this long process and still ongoing. But I had the strength today, Devin, to come in here and talk about my favorite neo noir film, LA Confidential. Nothing disappoints me more, Jeremy, than when you did not accept my invitation to actually do a live stream right after your operation while you were still kind of hopped up on stuff. Oh, man. That would have driven the ratings, Jeremy. We could have we we won another podcasting award we had could've, that happened. We yeah. could have pulled it off. Yeah. We could have pulled it off. Yeah, I didn't have my I didn't have a voice. Uh, I was I was intubated. Uh, twice. Um, it's, it's another story, but it, it caused my voice to be gone. It yeah. was hilarious. My kids loved it. They're like, dad, dad can't tell me anything. Like he has love. shut his mouth. Nice. Um, but yeah, voice is back. I did a, a video right before surgery on LA confidential. And to be honest, it's something I've just kind of kept kicking around in my mind, just how special it really was. And yeah. I really think the nineties and the movies of the nineties, are are very similar in some ways to the movies of the 70s mm. um, where there's a lot of chances being taken. You, yeah. you know, you have in the early, late 80s, early 90s, you have videotapes being used as filmmaking right, devices, right? right? So right. Um, you have these experimental kind of things being done, but also you have these independent filmmakers making stuff. But then you just have this influx of talent that is given freedom that we hadn't seen since the 70s, freedom mm. to the filmmakers. Right. And LA Confidential sort of falls into that that camp. It is a wonderfully directed film by Curtis Hansen, who also wrote the script uh, with another writer named Brian Hegeland. And they turned a, um amazing novel into a novel by um, Elroy Leonard, they turn this novel into just an incredible film. Yeah, they, they really do. And I think, you know, one of the things, just to add on to that, not only do we have kind of this throwback mm-hmm. to the style of movie and how it's made, how it's right. shot as well, but we also really have the opportunity to, well, the, the cast is just, it's a who's who. Not only of yeah. that time, but we also get some actors that this was early in their career that would become much bigger Mm -hmm. and household names. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one of the things that I love most about this film is we have these big name actors, whether they were big name at the time or they became so afterwards that really come together. And I listen, there are a few movies that I would say don't have any blemishes, but this is pretty darn close to the top of the list. It's kind of amazing. A minute ago I said, um, the wrong author's name is James Elroy is the writer of the book. Um, yeah. And it, it is, it wins the Academy award for best adapted screenplay. Mm-hmm. And the writing is, 
I mean, it's sublime. Yeah. And it is one of those films. And if you haven't seen it, you might want to go, or if you haven't seen it in a while, you might want to go revisit it because it's one of those films that does something really interestingly in how it has this very complicated story, mm. but I never feel that it's so complicated that I can't figure out what's going on. Right. right. It, it gives me enough room to, to work, to yeah. understand. Yeah. But the work is part of the entertainment for me. Sometimes right. you, you, you watch a movie and it's so confusing. Yeah. And it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the truth is all there. Right. It's out there, right. you know, and, and you just have to kind of look for it. And it's it's what makes mysteries and detective stories so wonderful. Yeah, let me ask this because, yeah. you know, there, there's other films that come out around this time. And, you know, one of the, the ones that comes to mind is Seven, which, of course, also has right. Kevin Spacey in it. All right. But here's my question. W- would you classify this as is it is it is it a mystery is it a thriller is it you know some people say it's film noir even mm-hmm. though from a strict definition of that that we that it might be cheating a little bit right right what what are your thoughts yeah. on how how do we place this genre wise yeah i think it is it would go into sort of the the new noir mm-hmm. kind of movement that you see in the 90s yeah. and, and even the 80s um, so I think it's partially has one foot there. I think it is a um, kind of that old school crime detective pulp. It has yeah, that almost vibe. like a Chinatown yeah, vibe. Yeah, it has that that feeling to it. Um, you know, when you like there's a um, Kevin Spacey's character, Vincent, he works for a TV show that's like Dragnet. Right. And um there's that vibe to the movie too. It's yeah. almost like you see the facade of like fifties, right. like clean, the good guys versus the bad guys. Right. right. Um, and what LA confidential does so well is they show you that clean facade, but yeah. then you kind of scratch underneath the surface and it's like filthy. Right. Like, right. And it's, it's a mess. And I think that's one of the things the film does well is it kind of puts its, it has its hands in different, like, like jars, yeah, right? Right. And it's taken the cookies out of like the, the noir jar, you know? Yeah. And also the crime detective story jar. Right. But also it like plays around with our conceptions of what the fifties were. Yeah. And it just destroys it all. Like yeah. it's like these guys <laughs> yes, are somewhat corrupt. Yeah. You know, the cops, um, you know, the criminals are horrific. Right. You know, and um, there's this dark, dark underbelly to LA yeah, and um, it's always been there. And yeah. I think sometimes we, we romanticize Los Angeles totally. at different times yeah, uh, and it's history. Right. And, and I think films like that, and you mentioned Chinatown, Chinatown sort of does that too. It's like, no, there was, right. it's been shady for a long time. Right. right. And, and most big places are like that. Well, so. and living in Northern California and being a Bay area native, like, Fuck Southern California. Of <laughs> course, right, it's a dark right. underbelly. We've known that for, for decades. For decades. There's nothing new here. Oh, man. Uh, LA Confidential is really successful. Um, it was it was successful critically. People loved it. Great reviews. Yeah. Uh, commercially, it, you know, I think they made the film for about 30 to 35 million. It made. Which is crazy with that cast. I know. How do you get that cast for. It's. Like anything less than like a hundred mil. I know it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And, and a lot, you know, if, if you look at like Crow and Pierce, they were really the two leads besides Spacey. Right. Like they were pretty unknown at yeah. that point. So, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it grossed like 126 million in the United States. Well, and you know, Russell Crowe has been on record in interviews talking about that this film is one of only two films that he would have loved to have mm. a sequel to mm. because yeah. he, he enjoyed it and he thought it was that well done. Yeah. It, it, it would have been fun to see what a sequel would have been like, Yeah, you know? Um, yeah, it's just so good. Um, let's talk about the cast. Yeah. And, and for those of you that are, you know, kind of scratching your head going, wait, who all was in this movie? Here's, here's the basic cast. It's, it's Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, James Cromwell. You might remember Cromwell had already recently in 95 was nominated for best supporting actor for a movie called babe mm-hmm. about a little pig. Yeah. He's phenomenal in it. Um, Kim Basinger's in it. Um, Danny DeVito's in it. Um, Dante Spinati is the the director of photography, the cinematographer, and he, he had done a lot of just amazing movies. Um, many of you that listen to the show, you would recognize, um, he did last of the Mohicans. He did heat. Yeah. Uh, so he's a phenomenal cinematographer. Yeah. Um, and of course he works great with, um, you know, the director, uh, Curtis Hanson. They just do such great work together. And so the film really is, um, it has twists and turns, but it's basically the story is how the police are trying. There's this shady, dark underbelly of the police where they're trying to push out the organized crime element in LA, right. in LA, but they're going to become the organized crime element. Right. Right. And, and so you have these, these dirty cops doing these things, but what's funny is you have some other dirty cops that are recognizing there are leads. Um, and so you have Kevin Spacey has been sent, you know, Russell Crowe, um, who is um, Bud White, and, mm-hmm. and you have Guy Pierce, who's at Exley. All three of them have corruption in them. Right. And yet um, it, you take these corrupt cops and they all sort of have this conscience. Right. Like, what I'm doing isn't really that good. And they try to turn it around. All three of them try to turn around their lives. And they respond as they unravel this mystery. And they start to realize, oh, crap. Yeah. It's our own guys that right. are involved, right? And and it, it leads to this really amazing uh, finale. Great shootout at the end of the movie. Um, yeah, really well done. You you talked about the director of photography and stuff, and yeah. uh, you know just to kind of give some evidence about his chops. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that and and I know that you as a as a teacher of a film pick up on this stuff, but it's me that has to go and like read reviews and commentaries sure. to pick up on this stuff. And go like, oh, now I see how that was done, but. Just even something as simple as the authenticity of Los Angeles as a city. At the right, time that this is right. supposed to take place, there is a limit on how tall buildings can be in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And right. so if you go back and look at the shots, there's nothing taller than City Hall. Yeah. And the yeah. way that they angle the camera and get the shots and stuff. And I find like details like that are so right. fascinating to right. me right. that someone cared enough to go that extra mile to make it that much more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the fun things about LA confidential on rewatches is you, you not only get a better grasp of the story. It always, I think LA confidential is one of those films that reward you for watching it again. Yes. Um, Cause you're like, Oh, I didn't know that that these two characters were connected. I missed that, you know? Right. Right. Um, But it's just set design stuff. Yep. Um, It is, Everything from the cars to the buildings to the decor in those buildings right. to the, the costumes, the, the outfits the, the characters right. are wearing. 
the music. I mean, there's just so much that goes on in the film that teleports you, transports yeah. you to the fifties. And it's one of the things that makes it so, um, in retrospect, this like it's a masterpiece of the nineties. I think absolutely. You know, Titanic. This is the year Titanic came out. Yeah, and I, I always have wondered, like, if Titanic wasn't there, would LA Confidential would it have been rewarded more mm. in the awards circuit? Yeah, I don't know if it would or wouldn't have, but I, I really feel like the performances are so good. Yeah, that when I you know kind of look around at the landscape of those the years around LA Confidential. I just find the the performances to be some of the best of that time period. Well, and yes, I totally agree. And I think that, you know, it's always, it's kind of bugged me that, that Titanic got as much box office (laughs) and, and review love as it did. I think like personally, it's, it's an okay film. Yeah. yeah, It's an okay film. Sure. And, And I get what they did special effects wise. And that was kind of sexy and new at the time. Right. And at the same time, I, this story for me ha- yeah. has never really been that compelling. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, and, I'm with and, you. And so when I look at things like Titanic and we put it up against LA confidential or even right. some other movies that come out around that time, I think so much of, of the awards comes down to marketing, right. Yeah. To the Academy yeah. itself. Yeah. And, and clearly that was, that was the case here in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. So in the 98 um, Academy awards, mm-hmm. Um, Kim Basinger wins for Best Supporting Actress. Yeah. It's just really good. Yeah. Like, um, I know I was looking at, like, the other, who else was nominated. Yeah. Joan Cusack was nominated for In-N-Out, Minnie Driver for Good Will Hunting, mm. Julianne Moore for Boogie Nights, mm. and Gloria Stewart for Titanic. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. No one, I don't think anyone else in L.A. Confidential was nominated for acting. That's crazy. It is. It really is. And I mean, I can remove a few of the actors in both supporting, like Anthony Hopkins for Amistad. He's fine. Greg mm. Kinnear for as good as it gets. It's fine. Mm. I mean, I would keep Burt Reynolds for Boogie Nights. It's an incredible year. Yeah. Because you have Boogie Nights, you have Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. You have, um, you know, As Good As It Gets, which is a great film. Of course, Titanic is sort of this you know, no pun intended in this looming, yes, you know, casting the shadow, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a phenomenal stack of just actors and performers. But when I look at those three Spacey, um, Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce, I'm like the performances they turn in are just they're great. Well, yes, as individuals, but also just the way that they ensemble. there's cohesion as the ensemble, right? Yeah, I mean that. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that really sets this film apart from other films in and around this time period. Is right. when we're looking at that ensemble. You mentioned like Goodwill Hunting. Love the film. Yeah. For me personally, high rewatch value. Yeah. But there's not that type of interplay between the characters. Like there's some scenes. Sure. Where we get sure. Matt Damon and and Robin Williams that yeah. really just are are just glorious. Yeah, yeah. But from start to finish, I, I don't know that there's a better ensemble cast than this one. Yeah, and the way the film starts, it, you have a narration by DeVito kind of like talking about L.A. Right. Of course, Danny DeVito's character it runs this sort of like, you know, magazine, like tabloid magazine. Yeah, the the called, TMZ of the 50s. Yeah, yeah it's hush, hush. Yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> you know... So he gives this great narration, but then it starts introducing the characters and you go from, um, 
Kevin Spacey, who, you know, works on Badge of Honor, yeah. uh, the TV show. Yeah, yeah. Um, then you go to like Russell Crowe, his introduction is sort of this heavy. He's like this, he keeps being defined as this like bruiser kind of beat you up kind of guy. But right. as the film progresses, you realize he's sharp. He's a good detective. Yeah. Like he's figuring stuff out on his own. Right. To Ed Exley, Guy Pierce's shock, yeah. you know, because yeah. he, he doesn't think of him that way. Um, but they introduce each one. I, I, in the video I made for YouTube, I just talk about how the performances are great, but Russell Crowe is on a whole other level for me just mm. as a film goer. Mm. And I know his character as he plays sort of this brute kind of character. Yeah. I still think the performance is nuanced and interesting. And whenever he's on screen, he sort of is, is like you're drawn to him. Sure. And, yeah. um, you know, it's a few years later, he wins the best actor for Gladiator. Right. Um, but you see all the stuff there. Like, it's almost he doesn't have to say dialogue. His face is able to convey things. Yeah. And, um, of course, the movie starts off with where he and his partner – um, are outside um, a house in a suburb of LA and a woman's getting beat by her husband. And Bud Russell Crowe goes and like rips the Christmas stuff off the roof, causes the guy to come out. They, he roughs him up, cuffs him, calls, uh, you know, a, a black and white to come pick yeah, him up. You yeah. know? And um, that's our introduction to Crowe's character. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a freaking great introduction. Gotta kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it and what Curtis Hansen does so well is he juxtaposes it immediately with Ed Exley, yeah, who is this nerdy, yes, who's the son of an incredible like detective, right? Who's like it, it's interesting, like Ed Exley's father was killed in the line of duty, but they never knew who killed him, right? And um, Exley gives that killer a name, even though he doesn't know the real name, right? He, and it's Rolo Tomasi. Right. Which becomes a big part of the movie later. Yes, it does. And I, I just, like, Ed Exley's just such an interesting character, too. And Hansen is just, as a writer and as a director, he's so brilliant in how he puts their two introductions side by side. Yeah. Like, it's, they, they you know, Exley follows Bud White. And it's like, right. oh, yeah, these guys are so different um but they're great when they finally decide to work together later in the movie absolutely and this is really why like i love guy pierce's character probably yeah. the most out, yeah. of, out of this cast yeah. and yeah. i think that you know one of the things that guy well he does a lot of things well but one of the things that i love most about him is man he can play an uptight prick so well yeah yeah i mean you look at this portrayal yeah. and how he's kind of introduced and then you kind of put it in a parallel of his, his character in Count of Monte Cristo. And it's yeah. like, he does it really like he goes all in. He's great. And, and I'm just like, I, I just, I just love that about this particular character and how he portrays it. And I think you're right. Like when we're getting, you know, opposite ends of the, the personality spectrum right. with these two really coming to a spot where they have to work together. Right. Right. Is it's kind of glorious. Like yeah. we're used to, I think seeing, and not just from like a buddy cop, but we're used to seeing detectives or cops put together that maybe have some dissimilar personalities and stuff. Right. I don't know if we get that where it's this extreme though. And it, and it is portrayed so well. Right. Yeah. And, and you can't pull that off unless everyone's great. Right. And even, even when you have Cromwell's character as, as the, 
you know, he's cap, his name's Captain Dudley Smith. And so you have him who later he, be, he is the antagonist, right? Yeah. He is the, the main bad guy. And, um, it's interesting, like all the clues are there that he's it, but when he plays off of Exley, when he plays off of Bud White, when yeah. he plays off of Jack Vincent's, yeah. like, um, there's this interesting tension that's always there with all three. Right. And so it's just this, um, it's an incredible ensemble. And Exley, um, Guy Pierce's character, Ed Exley, is, you think he's the hero? Mm. And then you have crazy doubts at different times. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute, like, no, wait, are you good? Are you yeah. not good? And that's one of the, uh, the performances are so just incredible on in how they all really work together and mesh together. Yeah. Um, Guy Pierce, I watched him recently and doing, he did something completely different. Um, it's one of the best, like, it's just a one season show called Mare from Easttown. Mm. And it has Kate Winslet, who's a cop and a detective and yeah. it's a detective story, yeah. modern day. But Guy Pierce plays a professor who is a writer. He's written a novel and he's real popular because of that. So he's guest lecturing at the college and he and Mare, yeah. um, Kate Winslet's character, um, end up having a relationship, right? But he's so different. Mm. Like he has long hair. He's sort of nerdy, yeah, yeah. but he's cool. Yeah. Um, and he's a literary guy. Yeah. And it's just such a different vibe than what you see in LA Confidential. But even some of the action movies he makes right. in the, you know, 90s and the early 2000s, right. you know. Um, he has range and Crow has range. They all do. And that's one of the things that I think makes Com LA Confidential so special and unique is that the cast is just, they're all at the height of their powers. Mm. You know, Spacey, I think had already won an Academy Award for Usual Suspects. And um, he will win one for, I think he wins for American Beauty, but mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah, I believe that's right. Um, and so he's like in the height of his powers. So you, you mentioned Seven. He's yeah. insanely yeah. scary in Seven. Yeah. Um, he was in the middle of the zeitgeist. Like, and in fact, his character provides the biggest surprise. It's the biggest turn. I think he is the, of the three leads. Yeah. Jack Vincennes' character is the furthest down the hole. Like mm. he's in the darkest place of all of them. Right, right. Agreed. He, he is doing some pretty horrible things to get extra bucks for Hush Hush. Right. Like he'll set people up. Right. Um, but at the same time, he's staying out of things when something bad's going on. And he starts to um, really turn it around when he, when some of the decisions he makes gets a young man killed. Yeah. And um, the acting is nonverbal. Like he doesn't have a line going, oh, I've made a mistake. I need to turn it around. Like right. there's a scene where he's in a bar and he's looking at the money that Danny DeVito gave him. I think it's like a 50 maybe or a hundred. Yeah. And he looks at himself in the mirror in the bar and then puts the money on top of his Jack Daniels and leaves. And he starts to try to make everything right. Yeah. And it's just like this moment where he turns. And I find in the script, I'm rooting for them all. I mm. want them to win. Yeah. Whatever it is, we're still at different points in the movie. You're not sure what winning looks like. Yeah. But you want them to like be good. Right. And when he starts to turn it around and be good, you're like, yeah, all right. Yeah. Jack Vincennes is yeah. he's good. And he goes to Captain Dudley Smith, and you have probably the biggest shock of the movie is when the captain shoots Vincennes and kills him Yeah, in the kitchen. And yeah. it's just, I remember seeing it in the theater. I saw it twice. It's opening week. I yeah. can't remember if I saw it the same weekend 
or if it was like a Friday, then a Friday or something like that. But yeah. I, I was like, I'm going, I got to see this again. And I remember the first time I saw it, a very vivid memory, the, the audience just gasped. It was yeah. packed house. <gasps> like, Oh crap. You know, like he yeah. just shot him. Um, what, how did you feel when you saw that scene? Um, for I mean, the first time there were, so I saw this via blockbuster DVD. Yeah. So, I, you know, it was, it was a year or so after it came out, but I, very much the same thing. So like, except I was alone in the living room having the audible gas, <laughs> but I, I think that there was, you know, there's probably at least three or four moments like that. Right. Which is why I think this film has so much staying power. And you know, let me, let me pull out, like, you look at the six thins, mm-hmm. right? And once you have that aha moment, right? it's like, oh, it's good. And, yeah. But And for me personally, it's like, okay, I can watch it again. Right, but, right, right. like, once that's been revealed, then it, it loses its power for me. Right, right. To me, that's not the same with LA Confidential. Nope. I think it has much more staying power. And even those aha moments are definitely still worthy of the audible gasp. Right. I think it's that well done. Right. And I, I think, you know, one of the things that I want to get into, we're not to do it now because I want you to, to go where you want to go with the conversation. Yeah. But I, I think that this is something that deserves part of the conversation is we look at Kevin Spacey's character. And, you know, I, I remember him back from his time acting in L.A. Law. Right. right. And we're at a spot right now where uttering the words Kevin Spacey are highly volatile. Right. right. And so not so much a conversation about Kevin Spacey per se, but I think like part of the conversation that deserves uh, to, to be discussed or at least considered is what do we do when we have things that we love art in this case, LA confidential and Kevin Spacey's character when the person in real life kind of blows it in a big way. Like how do we as, thoughtful consumers respond to that because what I don't want to do is say, I'm never going to watch LA confidential again because Kevin (laughs) Kevin Spacey is an asshole in real life. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, this is going on with the flash right now. Mm. Um, Ezra Ezra Miller who plays the flash, um, did some pretty horrific things or was accused of, um, breaking into a house, stealing abuse, like manipulation, right. All these things. And um, the film tanked. I think the film tanking is more of just people being um, exhausted with superhero films. Yeah. And right. just like fatigue. It's like, I just don't want to see another superhero film right, done. Right. done. Um, so I think that might be part of it. But the, definitely a conversation is like, well, do you go see The Flash? Because right. he's in it. He's, right. he's accused of doing these terrible things in some videos. So you right. can see him do these terrible <laughs> things. Right. Um, and so it's like... That's hard. Like, it's like hard to know what to do. Yeah. I often will like, and, and for those of you listening, like, like, let us know what you think, um, about this. But like, I I kind of try to take into account, like there's hundreds and hundreds of people working on this project. Mm -hmm. Some do bad things. Some do good things. Like, how do I like look at this art then? Right. 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 Um, for, for LA confidential, I know right now, like Kevin Spacey is like some of the charges are being dropped and like the story isn't done. Yeah. Um, I know uh, Anthony Rapp, who yeah. was the one that accused him, like that case got thrown out or something. Yeah. Like I haven't been paying too close of attention, but yeah. um, it looks like Spacey is going to be innocent um, of these charges, right. found innocent by court. Right. Um, so it's like, what did you, 
what do you do? Do you cancel this? Do you cancel the film? Right. I think it's tricky. I think you have to take it case by case. Yeah. I'm more interested in what do the films say? Mm. I feel like those are more, more, it's more of an issue where you can say, Hey, this film is like, glorifying this thing that is really unhealthy. Right. Uh, there's a show on HBO right now. Oh, I can't remember if it's, it's about a pop star, but I watched maybe 15 minutes of it. And I was like, this is abhorrent. Really? And I'm, I have pretty thick skin and I'm pretty okay with watching whatever. <laughs> and I was like, what this is communicating yeah. is like, I just, it's not healthy for yeah. people. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's those, it's a popular show. I'm sure people disagree, but I, I find like, what is, what is the art that I'm enjoying or watching or and consuming? What is it saying? Yeah. And I'll normally draw a line there. Yeah. Um, you know, just like, yeah, it's not for me. Right. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not out to crusade or anything. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to watch that. It's not, yeah. I don't find that helpful right. or healthy or yeah. whatever. Um, so that's normally where I land when a performer amongst many performers in a project does something bad. I think that that's a yeah. safe place. I think that that's a good yeah. place to go with it because, you know, and we don't need to go far down this rabbit hole, but like if we don't live by kind of that vibe and we're out to, I hate even using the word council, right? Because right. even that's kind of overused, but, it, but if we're, if we're willing to reject anything because of someone's real life yeah, yeah. stuff, where does that end? Because right. <laughs> believe me, if, yeah. if there were cameras around when, <laughs> uh, when I was younger, uh, I, I would be rejected yeah, and no one's, for a lot no of No things. one's clean, right? Yeah, no yeah. one's clean. Um, I, I want to bring this up too, though. And, and you mentioned HBO and, and I'm going to bring James Cromwell, who I absolutely yeah. adore back into it. But, you know, he was on, this HBO series that just wrapped a couple weeks ago, which was succession. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of parallels with the audience's relationship with the characters in succession and the yeah. audience's relationship with the, the ensemble cast in LA confidential in that they're not really good people. Mm. In a lot of ways, they are anti-heroes mm -hmm. and yet I kind of want to root for some of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so like, to me, this is just so fascinating. What, like, what are your thoughts on just the allure yeah. of like, we shouldn't be rooting for this person, this character, because this character is not good. And yet go, you do it, do your yeah. thing. Win. <laughs> yeah. Secession. I, I've watched the first season of that. And, yeah. and definitely I'm like, <laughs> I remember, um, what finished, I just finished it. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching it going, these are all just a bunch of assholes. <laughs> like, they're just a bunch of assholes. Yes. Um, and I was watching a, another show called Barry. Yes. Um, at the same time. Yeah. And uh, I love Barry, but he's a hitman. Yeah. Um, I really wrestled with the, that idea when I watched Breaking Bad. Mm. And I think when a, because there's, there's content, you know, stories that you can tell where um, the, the, the hero or your anti-hero yeah. is doing some pretty bad stuff. Right. And yet um, it's just so bad and non-redeemable. Like, yeah. it's like, why am I even watching this? Right, right, like, right. But then there's like, there are shows that I think become successful. I think Breaking Bad is one of the top of the food chain kind of yeah. shows is that 
Walter White in Breaking Bad, there were things about him that were slightly redeemable. Mm. So he would do this bad thing, but then he would then also do this good thing. Yeah. And then he would do the bad thing again, and then he would do kind right. of a good thing again. Right, right. And then he would be in one situation where you're like, I can't believe this is happening. This is funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. You right. Know? And then he would do the most heinous. And so he is, um, in many ways, stories like Breaking Bad. Um, I didn't finish the session, so I don't know if this is how it goes. But it's like they there's enough nuance with the character that you see a multifaceted character yeah. group of characters right? where you'd see moments of goodness. Um, Game of Thrones did this too, yeah. where you would have, Oh, he's bad. He's bad. He's bad. Wait a minute. He just did something nice. Right. Wait, I'm confused. Yeah. Like yeah. Jamie Lannister was a perfect example in like right. Game of Thrones where he's like this horrible person. Right. But then he does something kind and you're like, wait a minute, what's, yeah. what's going on? Is, yeah. Can he be redeemed? And I think for, for a lot of us, not all of us, there is always a hope that someone can find a new way. Yeah. Like a redemptive yeah. way. Um, like heal themselves yeah. and heal those around them. And so there's always like you're holding out hope that that can happen. But then there's also the way stories are told. Um, a lot of times it's bad guys fighting bad guys. Mm-hmm. And because you see this multifaceted character, that's a bad guy, but he does some nice things yeah. too. You're kind of like, well, I'll just side with him because he's the lesser of the yeah. two evils. It sounds like a presidential race. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like, you know, it's like, and I think, I think the great shows that are able to do that, the reason why they can do that and people root for them and watch them yeah. is because of the complexity of character. I, I agree with that. And I will also say, don't hold out hope for redemption if you continue to watch <laughs> Succession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm, I got to start season two here. Yeah. I think they did four seasons or yeah, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's in my opinion, it's a divine and highly addictive series. It's really well done. It's got a yeah. lot of rewatch value to it. Yeah. But um, yeah, don't don't hold up hope for redemption. Although, but there are those moments though. Those are the most like, well, wait a minute, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Barry has those moments too. And Barry, just the way it ended, I did finish that series, and I was just like, well. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, it's a great show too. And it has laugh out loud moments. And then like, what just happened? Freak out moments. Um, yeah. Confidential sort of falls. LA confidential falls into that kind of like barrel of stuff. Right. Yeah. It, it has, you know, you have a cop that, you know, he, like, if you look at Russell Crowe, Bud White breaks into a home that they feel, a woman has been abducted, right. raped, will eventually be murdered. She's on her way to die. Yeah. And uh, Bud White goes in and f- uh, frees her, but kills the guy. Yeah. And makes it look like the guy fired at him, um, but he killed him. Right. And it's like, well, that's not good. That's crooked. You know, that's yes. that's that's not right. Yes. Um, justice should be played out in the justice system of our right. country. Like right. Right. high right. ideals. Yeah. But, but White doesn't do it. And I, I remember watching the movie and I, the audience in the theater was like, yep, that's how it should have been done. Yep. And it's like, wait, what are we doing? You know, we're all on board with Bud White, you know, killing this guy. Yes. And so LA Confidential has a lot of those moments where you see these three cops, the three leads do something. You're like, oh man, why are you doing that? Right. And then there's this 180, like, well, there's this greater evil that I'm going to fight, Yeah, you know? And yeah. I think that's what makes it compelling is that because they decide to fight the greater evil in their minds, Mm -hmm. they actually find redemption. Yeah. 
in, in some ways. Um, of course, Russell Crowe ends up riding off at the end with Kim Basinger right. going to Arizona. Yes. And, uh, you know, of course, Jack Vincent is dead. And then Ed Exley is like on the rise to right. the top of the department. Right. And um, you wonder, did they really change or are they just going to go back to the same thing? But right. in that moment, you're like, well, maybe they did redeem themselves, yeah. you know, somehow. Yeah. And, and I find that stuff compelling in a movie. I think it is too. And I, I think that even though we get a glimpse of life after the events of the film, yeah, I'm glad that it doesn't wrap everything up in a little nice, neat package right. with a bow, right? right it right. does leave lingering questions. Right, it does. I'm curious, and this goes back to, you know, one of the things that Russell Crowe had said, and I mentioned earlier, that... He, he wishes like there would have been a sequel to this. You and I have talked over the years, both on the pod and just kind of right. off the pod about sequels and what would a sequel potentially wreck kind of the legacy of this film? Yeah, I think it would like the way it ends. You're just like, wow, it's the mid nineties and here's a film that doesn't have a sequel and it's yeah. great. Yeah. You know, it's just like usual suspects, same thing. Great right. film. Right. Standalone, done seven. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't do much after seven. <laughs> but it's like, you know, yeah. here it is. It's okay. We're right. done. Yeah. Um, nowadays, it's like if something gets made, it's like, well, let's sign these actors through a three-picture deal. Yes. Like, yes. Um, you know, if it's a hit, we can make more money. And, yes. Um, I think the 90s was doing that. You had sequels right. and, and all that. But the 90s also was okay with just letting films stand alone. Yeah. And um I would love to see what would happen in one sense to these characters because I like knowing their story. Right. But at the same time, it's almost perfect where it is. It's just like I think just so too. I think the only way I would want to see a quote unquote sequel is new ensemble, new mm. situation. Right. Right. Even if we did, you know, a time jump to the sixties, the seventies, whatever right. else. Right. But I I'm always even hesitant to even go that far because you don't want to wreck right. it. You don't want you to, don't want to, to really wreck it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, Indiana Jones is kind of dealing with that now. Right. Like you have the 08 film, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. You have the one that's coming out. That's right. getting interesting reviews. There's a lot of negative reviews to yeah. start with, but now there's a lot more positive reviews. Yeah. And it's like, okay, is this wrecking something? You right. know, I don't, I don't know that Indiana Jones is different. It's a, it's a serial adventure that right. you would watch in the theaters in the fifties. That's like the right. vibe you get. Um, but with LA confidential, I think you just keep it where it is. Yeah. And there are so many in LA confidential. One of the things that makes it so unique and special and like, like really good is that it has scenes and sequences that are memorable. I mm -hmm. think that's why you said earlier, like, I think I can come back to this. It's not like Sixth Sense. Right. You know, where uh, the ending is so much of the the whole package, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so much hangs on that ending. Right. Uh, LA Confidentials, there's so many moments throughout. Right. For you, when you think back on the film, what are some of the moments of the film that you really just like, I love that scene or I love that moment. I love this interaction. I love this shootout. I love, you know. Yeah. I, well, I, and you touched on this, but I mean that shootout at the end and yeah. you know, where basically Ed Exley just kind of <laughs> lays the trap for right. Rolo Tomasi. And, yes, and I, yes. I think that that's, you talk about audible gasps. I'm just like, yeah. Whoa, you know, yeah. you, you What's interesting, I think, for me upon first watch of that is you you might have had some idea that that's where things were going to go. But then when he quite literally and figuratively pulls the trigger on that, man, that was awesome. Yeah. 
That yeah. was just that, that that wasn't just like the audible gas. That was the 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 very rare jump out of your chair in the theater yeah. and, and yeah. clap. Yeah, yeah. The whole, you know, Rolo Tomasi. And yeah. then this scene where Dudley Smith asks Ed Exley, you know, does his name Rolo Tomasi? Right. And he's just like don't show your cards. Right. Don't show right. like, it, it like, and actually just like Guy Pierce keeps that straight face. Yes. You're like, please don't lose yeah. it. You know, yeah. it's a great scene. Yes. Great. The tension in that moment. Yeah. It's like, Oh, all the realization, like my captain is the bad guy. Right. Um, great moment. Yeah. The shootout at the end is like top tier, great action scene. Great way to end the film. Yeah. I, I think there's a scene where, even on my rewatch recently, I couldn't stop laughing. And it's when part of the story of LA confidential is there is a kind of prostitution ring, Mm -hmm. but what they're doing is they're doing plastic surgery on these prostitutes to look like starlets that that you would see. And, um, (laughs) there's a scene where Ed Exley and Jack Vincent go into a bar and they go up to a, one of the bodyguards of, of some crime guy and they start to ask him questions and he's sitting with Lana Turner. Yeah. And he's, but Ed actually thinks it's one of the hookers yeah, yeah. that has been cut. And he's like, you know, like he just like says the most horrible stuff to her. <laughs> and, and, uh, Vincent's is like, Hey, that is Lana Turner. Like, and it's just like the look on his face. And then they get out into the car and just can't stop laughing. It's just like <laughs> great moment. Laugh out loud moment. Embarrassing moment. Yes. Well acted moments. Yes. But those are all throughout the film yeah. where you have these incredible, memorable, dare I say, like rewatchable scenes where right. if you turn it on and it's on that moment, you're like, oh, I'll just keep watching. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I think, I think one of the, the aspects of the film that a lot of people, a lot of people will point to like Russell Crowe mm-hmm. and all these actors just being great. I think Danny DeVito is mm-hmm. phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he's just, he's funny. He's full of life. He's creepy. Yeah. You know, as he runs his hush hush and uh, magazine. And of course he gets killed by Dudley Smith at, at later yeah. in the film. And it's just like, Oh, um, but he, he embodies kind of that shady, seedy underbelly right. grossness of LA yeah. and just like setting people up. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, he gets what he deserves in a sense, but his performance, DeVito's performance as that character is just phenomenal. And we, we've hammered on this, so I'll, I'll, I'll be surprised. But, Jeremy, surprise me. Do you recast anyone here? Like, if, if you could go back in, yeah, in yeah. your hot tub time machine, would you recast anyone and pull in another actor that, again, yeah. Russell Crowe and Guy Pierce go on to bigger stardom? So do you pull in anyone that, that's a bigger name at that time to plug and play? Yeah, I don't... Man, I, it's so hard because everyone plays their parts perfectly. Yeah. And there's a lot of films that we watch where we're like, ah, oh, I could see so-and-so playing that. I could recast yeah. that. Um, I'm trying to think mid-90s, who could be Kim Basinger's character? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, she does great. She's like a, a interesting age. Yeah. You know, she's in her 40s. Right. Um, it makes sense that she leaves L.A., you know, right. at that point where Russell Crowe at the end of the movie, it's like, I, this place has destroyed me. I'm leaving now. Yeah. And um, I'm leaving with this guy. Right. And it makes sense. Um, I don't think you can cast younger. Yeah. Um, so she's it's per, she's perfect in many ways. Of course, she wins the Academy Award. I don't, I don't think you can. I mean, maybe 
in the mid nineties, maybe a Brad Pitt. In one of I was going to say, yeah, I, like he's probably would be at the top of the list. Yeah. yeah. But I almost wonder if that like detracts from these wonderful portrayals that we get from Crow yeah. and, and Pierce. Yeah. I think one of the things that of course, Spacey's on people's radar, DeVito's on people's, people know yeah. these guys, but like Cromwell, Guy Pierce, Russell Crowe, they're all new. Yeah. They're newcomers. Yeah. Um, Russell Crowe was in a movie called Romper Stomper where he plays like this Nazi, neo-Nazi yeah. guy. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. And I think that's what got him the role. Yeah. And, you know, but he hadn't been in much anything else. I think he was in Quick and the Dead mm-hmm. with Sharon Stone. Yeah. And Leo. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think that no name kind of... These guys were blank slates right. and it helped the movie. Yeah. Because you didn't I know agree. you didn't know how they which way they were gonna go. And right. then once once Kevin Spacey dies, you're like, now are these are these guys gonna figure it out? Right. Are they gonna work together? Right. Um, it really it really is makes it just special, I think, because they're anonymous in some ways. Yeah, I, um, I agree. and I think that that's I, I would have said Brad Pitt. I think the only and and maybe this is in in a really horrible way. Maybe this is more accurate to the time period of of when the events of LA Confidential, mm-hmm. LA Confidential take place. But mm-hmm. I like I would have loved to have seen someone like a Denzel or a Forrest Whitaker in there mm-hmm. to have a little bit more diversity as far as right. the cast. Right, right. But I also understand that 1950s LAPD that there probably were slim pickings from yeah, the African American demographic. Yeah, yeah, that's the hard part when you portray these time periods. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the representation was on the force. Right. Um, at that time, I would imagine it's 99% white. Well, and um, especially if we're talking about detectives, right? I mean, right. That, that would be even be probably right. a, a greater... You know, I could see a Bruce Willis in, in a film like Interesting. this. Interesting, yeah. Um, I could see maybe a Johnny Depp, because mm. he's pretty young and... Like he could have maybe been the Ed Exley character. Yeah. Um, I think Bruce Willis would have been an interesting Jack Vincennes. Yeah. Like Kevin Spacey's character. Right. Right. Um, those are both just phenomenal actors. So I could have seen that. Uh, maybe Demi Moore and mm. maybe one of the world. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but those are those were huge stars at that time right. that I could see maybe being in it. But um, I think the casting is perfect. Devin, if you had to say the what is the best thing about the movie, what would you say? Is it the casting? Is it the story? Is it the mystery of it? Like, is it set design? Like, what what, what kind of rises at the top? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's really tough to pick something out yeah. because, like I said, I mean, this is, in my opinion, which is obviously Jeremy counts for a lot. Yeah, um, it does. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I this this film is as close to perfection chef's kiss yeah. as, as you're going to get. So I, I, I guess I would pick the overall adaptation to a screenplay. Right. right. I mean, I think that that's so well right. done. It, it's not always easy when you're, you're taking a novel because oftentimes, you know, they, they say the book is always better for a reason, but right. I think this is like one of the cases where the movie's pretty damn good. Yeah. And, and so to do that, I think is, a, it's a special gift to be able to do that. Right. So I, I'll pick screenplay. Yeah, it's a, it wins Academy Award. It's an incredible script. I, you know, it's like you, it's so hard. Yeah. Um, everything's so perfectly done. Everyone needs everyone. Right. You know, it's not one of those films where it's like poor story, but this performance is so incredible. Right. Right. Like, 
Um, it kind of carries the film. Yeah. I feel like the Joker was that where it's mm. like the performance was so incredible. Yeah. But the story was kind of like, eh, yeah, you know, um, this isn't that the story's great. The performances are great. The music's great. The set yeah. design's great. Yeah. Like, it's just goes on and on and they all mesh so well. Yep. And, and so it's this, um, it's almost like one of the perfect films of the nineties. Truly. I mean, you've got like this independence day and Forrest Gump. Oh, and I'm, <laughs> You had to say those words. Whole pod is tainted now. Freaking, you know. And I think like those were all like right around the same time. Yeah. Well, and you know, okay. So I know in jest, and for those of you that are unfamiliar, Jeremy has. How would you describe it, Jeremy? Give me an adjective to describe your feelings toward Forrest Gump, and <laughs> and also Here, here's uh, here's what I can yeah, say. Yeah, here's yeah, what yeah. I can say. Yeah. I hate. <laughs> Those two movies <laughs> for different reasons, but, yeah. but the hatred is the same. Yeah. I got up, I think out of both and left. Yeah. When I saw them, <laughs> I think I did. I actually, I saw Forrest Gump a second time. Wow. Just wait. This is, oh, it was a date. <laughs> oh, okay. it was like, I, I was like, well, <laughs> cute girl. I'll suffer <laughs> through this piece of shit movie. Been second there. time. Been there. Second time. Yeah, Been I'm there. sure a lot of our listeners can understand. Yes, that. yes. You got to do what you got to do. Um, but here, let me ask this, though, because I, mm-hmm. I think that this is a question that actually, even though I mentioned, even though I dropped the F word, Forrest Gump, um, I what what are your thoughts about Gary Sinise playing part of L.A. Confidential? Mm. I think that might be a really intriguing yeah. addition to the cast. He would have been great. Yeah. He's such a great actor. Yeah. It fits like yeah. he could play in that world. Yeah. Yeah, he would be great. You take his character from another film. Was it late nineties, maybe early two thousands, but in Ransom. Yeah, and just like he's great. Blow your mind. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. I I I don't know what what Sinise has done recently. He's kind of one of those actors that I think he got blacklisted because he was just a kind of conservative. Yeah, and sadly that crap happens. Right, and um, you know, but I I think. You know, as a performer, he's phenomenal. Yeah, and, I agree. And I'm like, man, I, I wish he was in more stuff. I know he's done some TV work, but um, and he's done a lot of producing. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, he would have been great in LA Confidential. Um, well, it looks like we're kind of back. Um, we're gonna we are. we're gonna keep doing some pods. We're gonna keep doing the YouTube thing. I'm still on the mend. Uh, my voice comes and goes. I take lots of naps. I'm I'm basically an 80 year old right now. Yeah, you are. Um, yes. So, but I'm envious. Um, yeah, you know. Um, but we'll, we'll be uh, putting out something soon. You could always check out Patreon. Um, I think wasn't it one of our patrons' uh, birthday recently? Was it Trevor's birthday? I believe it was. Yeah. So I happy birthday, Trevor. Yeah. We love you, man, and we hope you had a wonderful birthday. And uh, as always, thank you so much for listening to The Living the Past. Stay tuned. More episodes will be coming.